you did not open up with David, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open to John chapter 6. We'll spend most of our time, just about all of our time tonight, in John chapter 6. I will have the verses on the screen like usual, but you may want to have the whole context open there in front of you. What I have here on the screen is a mosaic, and if you and I were ever to go uh, to the west side of the Sea of Galilee, a little town called Tabga, there is a church building that has been built over that that is called the Church of the Multiplication of the Loaves. You know, a lot of times as history went on, um, Christians would try to build church buildings over some of these sites where they thought these things in Jesus' life had actually happened. I suppose to try to preserve the spot. You know, if you were here last week, we talked about uh, how Abraham's burial spot was built over and, and now has a mosque over it as it was built over there. But, but people tried to build over these spots to try to mark the spot. And so at some point, uh, someone decided here on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, this is where Jesus fed the 5,000 um, plus women and children, as Matthew 14 tells us. So however many thousands there were, Jesus, this is where it happened. So there's a, a church, and someone put this mosaic together. And you'll notice there on the mosaic, you have... Supposed to be five loaves there on the table, there in the middle, and then the two fish on either side. It's one of the best known events in Jesus' life that he fed the 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about not just the event, uh, we'll, we'll mention the event somewhat in passing, but we're going to talk about what happened the next day because a really interesting thing happened the very next day that I think we can learn some important things from. And not all the Gospels tell us, just one of the Gospels shares that with us. So that'll be our plan for tonight. So here's what happened. We're talking about what happened after the miracle. First of all, let's just point out, all four Gospels tell about Jesus feeding the 5,000. That is somewhat unique. Not many of the miracles, I, I should have looked into just how many there are. It, it can't be more than a few of the miracles are recorded in all four Gospels. So this was something that was significant enough that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, inspired by the Spirit, all recorded for us to know about. There was something about that day that just stuck out to everybody. And if, if you noticed, as David was reading there a minute ago, you might remember, here's what happened. There, Jesus is out teaching, and the day is getting late, and the apostles start to say, we got a lot of people here, and we're not close to anywhere that's got food. Jesus, you better let these people start going on back because they're going to get hungry and the day's almost over. And Jesus says, first of all, as you put the Gospels together, He says, give them something to eat. <laughs> they say, if we had 200 denarii, we couldn't feed all these people. There's just so many of them. And so then Andrew, here in John 6, if you have the John 6 open in front of you, it's Andrew. We love that the three times Andrew is mentioned in the Gospel of John, all three times he's bringing someone to Jesus. And this is one of the times he's bringing someone to Jesus. And here he's bringing a lad, as he calls him in verse 9, who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? So I've looked around, Jesus, and here's all we got. We got one kid with a small lunch is all we have. He's got his own sack lunch, but nobody else has got anything. And Jesus says, there in verse 10, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so I wish I could have seen the looks on the faces 
as, as Jesus just keeps handing out bread and keeps handing out bread. He, he wanted to show something about himself here that only God can do. He just keeps handing bread and keeps handing fish. And, and the people, there had to be laughter. That's what I picture on mine. There had to be at some point the apostles saying, are you kidding me? Like, what is, what is happening here? Why do we keep having bread to give out to everybody? And, and so it goes so long. You notice there in verse 11, as much as anybody wanted, this becomes not just enough to get by, as much as anybody wanted. Verse 12, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. If your mom told you growing up to not waste any of your food, who knew? She was being like Jesus all those years ago. But that, I don't know if that was the intent or not. But Jesus says, gather everything up so nothing will be lost. Verse 13, they gather everything up. And they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Jesus had done something only God can do. It didn't, it didn't fit physics. It didn't fit uh, science or the things we see in our lives. He was showing, I am truly God, and this is something that only God can do. It's in all four Gospels. But the Gospel of John gives us some unique things here both in the event of feeding the 5,000 plus women and children, and also what happened the next day. Let me just point out real quick one thing in the event that is interesting to me, and here in verses 14 and 15, that only John tells us about. Back in Deuteronomy 18, Moses, who, and you'll need to remember this for John 6, Moses, as they're leading the children of Israel in the wilderness... Remember the manna that God sent down from heaven? The people had no food and the manna came down. They, they begged for food and so Moses prayed. And so all the time they were in the wilderness until they entered the promised land, God gave, uh, God gave manna from heaven to, to give them enough food, a bread-like substance that they were able to eat all that time. And Moses had promised in Deuteronomy 18, God is going to give a prophet like me, Moses said. And when he comes... You better listen to him, because whoever doesn't listen to him is not going to be right with God. And so when they saw, verse 14, the sign of the bread that just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, they connected it, rightfully so, with Moses. They said, hey, maybe, maybe this is the prophet. The, the Deuteronomy 18, as we would call it today, the Deuteronomy 18 prophet who was supposed to come into the world. He's doing what Moses did. He's feeding with bread from heaven. There's also something interesting in verse 15. Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. The other Gospels don't tell us that. The, the people got so excited about this amazing miracle and, and started to realize this really is the Messiah that they're ready to put a crown on Jesus' head, and I guess maybe get an army together, they're thinking. Remember they had some misunderstandings about what the Messiah was supposed to be, that maybe he was supposed to be a warrior to lead them against the Romans. They're ready to make Jesus king, so Jesus has to, he has to go hide. You know, sometimes people read the Gospels and they'll notice where Jesus will heal someone, for example, and he'll say, don't go tell anyone what I've done. And sometimes we read that, we say, why wouldn't he want him to tell everybody? Jesus knew there was a time frame that everything had to happen. And if things got too excited too quick, this happens. 
People try to make him king. The Romans come in. They end everything. He never, he never gets to the place where people are taught like they're supposed to. He never gets to the place where it's time for the cross, for him to go to the cross. And so here Jesus knows they're about to take this in a whole different direction. He has to hide to get away from being crowned king. Only John tells us that. What happened that night is something you will probably remember. Um, the disciples go out on the water while Jesus is here on the mountain. And he comes walking on the water. That's, that's that night after he fed the 5,000. He comes walking on the water to them. You remember Matthew 14 tells us more about this. They think he's a ghost. Peter walks on the water out a little bit to Jesus and starts drowning. And Jesus says, where's your faith? You know, you're doing so great. So that all happens that night. But then the next day, and this is where we're going to pick up the rest of our lesson. The next day the crowds find Jesus who is now on the other side of the sea, on the north side of the sea. And this conversation we're going to look at with the rest of our time happens in a synagogue there in Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus has now gotten to the north side. This, the 5,000 were fed on the west side of the sea. Jesus now on the north side. So what I'd like us to do then with the rest of our time, this is a longer conversation than I will. I won't read all the verses here. Uh, John 6 has a lot of verses in it, as you can tell if you open there. I want to point out three things about this conversation that happened the next day after they fed the 5,000 that only John tells us about. And hopefully we'll find some things that will help our faith tonight. First thing that happens, if you're keeping the outline with us, write down, the people find Jesus because they're looking for Him. And what they remember is that the boat of the apostles left and Jesus didn't go with them. But the next day they can't find Jesus. And what had happened was Jesus had walked on the water to the apostles. But anyway, verse 20, 24 picks it up. Here's where they realize this. When the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. I suppose they went to Capernaum because that's where Jesus was a lot of the time there in Capernaum. So they go to Capernaum, again on the north side of the sea. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? You know, they, they didn't, he'd walked. He didn't say, as far as we know, well, I walked on the water last night. But that's what had happened. He had walked on the water of the sea over to Capernaum. And he answered them. And notice Jesus, he knows their hearts here. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You're here only because you want more food. That's what Jesus is saying. You're only here not because you're, being, you're seeking God. You're seeking more food for yourself. He says, verse 27, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father God has set His seal. Jesus is saying, I've got something so much better than this temporal food that you, you're so interested in. That's what you need to be seeking. You need to be seeking what I can offer that's so much bigger than, than the bread that you're wanting. It's interesting to me that even, even Jesus, who helps people all the time, even Jesus saw that sometimes there's a point where you say, you're not really seeking God. This is, this is just about you. And here he says, he says no. I'm not, I'm not bringing you more bread today. Uh, we're going to talk about something different, as we're going to see they talk about here. Now, they keep, they keep asking. Notice how sneaky they are in trying to keep asking. Verse 30, they said to him, then what do you do for a sign so that we can see and believe you? What work do you perform? And you want to say, what did you see yesterday, guys? He just fed 
5,000 plus with all the bread and the fish. You've seen something no one would ever forget who was there. And they're, but they're, they're trying, notice verse 31, they're trying to get more food because they say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So what they're saying is, Jesus, just give us some more bread, just like Moses did. Jesus then said to them, verse 32, Truly I say to you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. So just like the manna seemed to come out of heaven, Jesus is coming out of heaven to give life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Here's the first thing I want us to notice in this conversation, what I think we learn. Sometimes we seek the wrong food. Sometimes we're chasing the wrong things. Sometimes even when we come to, to God, we're, we're seeking the wrong things. You know, back in, uh, in Roman times, for example, and, and a lot of times before and after, when people had these idols that they worshipped, they would often go through the rituals for these idols just to get something. There was no, like, deep care about this alleged God that they're worshipping. But, for example, if you were going to go on a journey... Um, you might go to the, the temple of the god Poseidon who, who reigns over the sea and you might do your little ceremony just because you want him to give you a safe journey. If you want your crops to grow, you go in, you just, you just do your little ceremony and, and maybe the god will give you crops. If you have a, a family member who's sick, you just go into the temple of the god who heals and you do your little ceremony. And, and, and it was a very transactional thing. It was, it was very much, I just want something. I'm here because I want something. Um, That's not what faith in God is supposed to be. Now, we all come to God because we know we need the Lord. And we know we're sinners and we need the blessings of God. But we we never want our faith to become selfish. And hopefully the further we go, the the further our love for God deepens. Because if, if, if we're not careful, sometimes we can make our faith transactional. And we can say, God, I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just doing my, the one, two, three, four I'm supposed to do. Now it's your job to give me what I want. I'm, I'm doing my thing. Now you give me what I want. Remember what Satan said about Job? When God is bragging on Job, he says, he's only following you because you're giving him stuff. Take it away and see what happens. Now Job showed us his faith was deeper than that. But it makes me ask that about myself. What if, what if the stuff disappears? What if, what if the things I'm thankful for that God has given me, what if it disappears? Am I still standing with God? I hope so. Sometimes we seek the wrong food. Sometimes we're seeking everything for ourselves, and it's all about us and, and we forget our faith supposed to be a little deeper than that. It's supposed to be a lot deeper than that. As Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to. You'll have what you need. Seek God. We we let the worries of the world take over sometimes. And it becomes about about money and accumulation and fears and just try to to keep getting what I have because I'm scared something will happen in the future or whatever else. Jesus says, seek the right food. Seek, Seek God's kingdom and you'll have what you need. That's a promise from God. He's not promising uh, that you'll, you'll be the wealthiest person in America. He's not promising that you'll be able to buy everything you ever want. But he says, you'll, you'll always have enough if you're following me. As Psalm 37, 4, one of my, my favorite verses in the Psalms, delight yourself in the Lord. Not just delight yourself in the blessings of the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, 
and He'll give you the desires of your heart. What, what, what your heart really desires, not just, not just stuff. What your heart really desires. And in fact, if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, what your heart desires is going to be different, isn't it? It's going to be better. It's going to be deeper. So I, I learned from John 6, this group that had seen the bread being fed and just comes back, we want more of that. Jesus says, you're seeking the wrong thing. There's something even better you need to be seeking. Second part here in this chapter then, you see the true identity of Jesus that comes out in this conversation. Starting in verse 35, that little F there stands for following. So verse 35 and following, if you haven't seen that type of notation before. Um, But here in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And now we're starting to see what Jesus was doing with feeding the 5,000, aren't we? We're starting to see he had much bigger messages in mind. I am the bread of life. I just I fed you all this bread, but, but I am the bread of life. If you, if you studied the Gospel of John, John's the one that tells us about all these great I am statements of Jesus. There are seven of them. This is the first. There, there are seven times where Jesus, he's echoing what God told Moses at the burning bush. Where, where Moses said, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am. Jesus begins echoing that. And the, and the big one, there's seven in John, seven I am statements. And the big one is in John 8, 58, where he tells the people, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was saying. They wanted to kill him for blasphemy. Jesus is very much connecting himself. I am, I am God. I am the I am that talked to Moses. And here, the first one in John says, I am the bread of life. And they'll go on in John. You remember, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So Jesus, he gives these I ams throughout the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. And today we have all these, uh, these diets that, um, and I don't know all of them, so forgive me if I'm messing this up completely, but we have all these diets that a lot of them are like no bread diets. Like that, that's your thing. You know, you just, just avoid bread. So we, we almost look at bread as like this evil thing in our, in our culture. And what we forget, as, as you'll find in some commentaries that point this out, what we forget is bread is like the foundation of living for most of human existence. If you had bread, you could make it. You know, we got so much food that you know, bread feels like we're just piling on extra on top of everything else. But, but for most of the world, if you have bread, you live on bread. Jesus says in Matthew 6, give us our daily bread. That, that's what we're praying for, to keep us going, to keep us alive. When Elijah met the widow in the time of the famine, if you remember, she had oil and she had flour that could make bread. And as long as that was there, she was going to be okay. Her, her and her son were going to be okay, and Elijah would too. And so bread is, bread is the foundation of, of how people lived. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he doesn't mean, in American context, he doesn't mean I'm the extra calories that you don't need on top of everything else. What, what he means is, I'm the foundation of what you need to live. Like that you're really going to find it in me. And he goes on, verse 38, I have come down from heaven. Again, just like the the manna came down. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, you're seeing the identity of Jesus here, the bread of life, the one who came from heaven. He says, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all he's given me, I'll lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Verse 41, they don't quite understand all that. We might not have either. But looking back, we understand what he's saying. But they grumble, verse 41. The Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down of heaven. They're starting, is he saying he's God? Is he saying like he, he, he came down from heaven? Like actually he was in heaven and came down? And that's exactly what he was saying. They were saying, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down out of heaven? Remember, this is in Galilee. Jesus grew up in Galilee. Like they, some people here knew him. And so they're thinking, surely, surely he's not actually saying what we think he's saying. That he actually came down from heaven. Jesus repeats it in verse 48. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Even after having that bread, they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Keep that part in mind because we'll come back to it. What do we learn from that little section? I think Jesus is telling us, among other things, true fulfillment, true eternal life is only going to be found in Jesus. All the things we chase, thinking they're going to give us some measure of happiness thinking, if I, if I could just get one more thing, I'd be happy. If I could just get one more step in the career ladder, I'd be happy. If I could just have a little bit more money, I'd, I'd be happy. If I just had this type of house or this type of car, or, or if people thought I was awesome in this type of way, or if I got attention for this type of thing, but we, we keep moving the bar a little bit sometimes, but we always seem to think, if I could just get enough earthly stuff, then I'll, I'll hit that place, that place of contentment that place of happiness, that place where it's all coming together. I think we'll find, no matter how much stuff you get, there's always going to be another, another thing, another thing you wish you had if you're chasing that, that rabbit, another, thing, another place you wish you were at, uh, something someone else has that you don't. Unless we get the deeper stuff, the real existence of our spiritual selves that's only found in Jesus, we're never going to be content. William Barclay wrote a lot of commentaries years ago, and here's what he says. He says, talking about some needs we have that are only found in Jesus. He says, there's the hunger for truth, and Jesus alone can give men truth. There's the hunger for life, and he, Jesus alone can give men life and give it to us more abundantly. There's the hunger for love, and Jesus alone can give us the love that outlasts sin and death. It is Christ alone who can satisfy the immortal longings and the insatiable hunger of the human heart and soul. So we try all these idol-type things, earthly-type things that we think are going to make us happy. But the real stuff, the real stuff like having peace about who you are and your future and even death itself, having hope both in this life and the next one, having strength to face anything the world throws at you because you stand along someone bigger, having a family to walk alongside you in life, doing the most important things in life together, having forgiveness of all the ways we've failed and all the ways we've hurt people, having God, all, all those, having God with us, all those real things only found in Jesus Christ. 
As another I am statement said, I am the way, the truth, the life. John 14, verse 6. Augustine said it this way in church history. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. There really is a spiritual side to us that was created, and it will only be filled by Jesus Christ. We cannot, nothing else will fill that hole. And if you try, you're going to spend your whole life throwing things in that never-ending hole that only Jesus can fill. There's a contentment and a peace and a real stuff. That's why Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, the eternal life, the ones you really want. Isaiah 55, prophet Isaiah says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread? You're trying to buy bread, it's not real bread. Why do you spend your wages for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Stop spending your money on things that aren't bread. Come to me, God says. I I satisfy that part of you that I created. Or Psalm 107 verse 9, talking about God. He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. He is filled with what is good. He's not talking about our stomachs there. He's talking about our souls. When we're thirsty and we're hungry, that spiritual side of us, that, that's the real, the real part of us. Um, only Jesus, only God fills that. I think Jesus is saying that in John 6. And then the third part, the crowd is confused. We might have been confused too. I'm always hesitant to throw too many stones at the, at the Jews who didn't understand. I might have been just as confused. But Jesus starts saying some stuff. Because remember, he just said, my flesh is what I'm giving you so that you have eternal life. We can look back. We know the whole story. We know he goes to the cross and that, and that his body dies on the cross and his blood is poured out on the cross. And that we even commemorate that every Sunday as God's people have done for 2,000 years in the Lord's Supper. And, and they start asking, though, how can he give us his flesh to eat? Like that, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus makes it even more confusing. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. He's not talking about cannibalism here. He's talking in a spiritual sense. His flesh, His blood is what really gives life. Not not earthly bread. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, verse 54, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And again, he's speaking all, all spiritually here. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Notice the reaction to the crowd. That, that sounds really strange to them. So you know what they do? They leave. They leave. <laughs> I don't understand what he's saying. This sounds hard. So I'm just going to leave. Verse 60 Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? Verse 66, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Wow! Just yesterday... There were 5,000 listening to the sermons along with women and children. So who knows how many thousand. And today, one day later, he says something that they don't like or they're not sure about. And so a lot of them just walk out the door. He's not doing what I want him to do. He's not giving me what I want him to give me. He's not saying what I want him to say. And so I'm leaving. Jesus then looks at the 12, 
those 12 that he had asked to specifically be apostles and learn from him in a deeper way than anybody else would. He says, you don't want to go away also, do you? And good old Peter, who so often puts his foot in his mouth when he speaks up. Sometimes, though, that impetuous, emotional side of Peter got it right. And on this day, Peter got it right. And Peter spoke up first like he so often did, and he answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, what Peter doesn't say is, we understand what you're saying completely, so we're staying around. He doesn't say that, does he? I don't know if he understood or not. I don't know if he understood the spiritual meaning of what Jesus said or not. What he said was, who are we going to go to? You're the one that has eternal life. And what he may be saying, I don't know if we have it all figured out, but we're with you, Jesus. We, we know who you are. And even if I don't understand everything else, I'll be okay with that. Verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Even if we didn't have all the answers, they knew who Jesus was. What do we learn from that? I hope we learn to stay with Jesus, even if everybody else leaves. I'm interested in the reaction of Jesus here because Jesus doesn't panic when the crowds start leaving, does he? He doesn't say, oh, oh come back, come back. I'll, I'll change what I'm teaching or I'll change what I'm saying. I, I, I don't want you to... No, Jesus, Jesus knew what he was saying was true and what he was saying was right. And I say that because in an American context, we can so often think of church if we're not careful in business terms. I think a lot of churches... Uh, get stuck in that line of thinking. And, and, and if anybody doesn't like what they're doing, hey, we'll change it. We'll change what we're teaching. We'll change what we're doing. I mean, surely if we're doing it the right way, everyone will like it, forgetting that we're sinful people and we've all got our own ideas. We're all affected by our culture. We, we said here this morning that we feel thankful and we feel blessed because we have more, more people in our church family than we've ever had before. But that by itself, that's, that's not a measure of success, is it? In America, sometimes we think that. Oh, there's more people. It must be successful. What, what successful as a church is, are you doing the three things God wants you to be doing? Are, are you doing what God wants? Are, are you pleasing God, number one? Are you helping each other in your faith, number two? Are you reaching out with the light of God to the people around you, number three? If you're doing those three things, it doesn't matter if there's two of you or 500 of you. If you're doing those three things, you're a successful church. But Jesus doesn't panic when the crowd starts saying, we don't, we don't, we're not with you anymore. He, he stays with the Lord. He stays with the truth. I hope we learned something there. That, that Jesus, whether the crowds came or went, Jesus was going to teach the truth. And He was going to stand on the truth. And hopefully more souls would come. Jesus cared about souls. He wanted more souls to come. But He was going to do it God's way no matter what. So let's, let's stay with Jesus, even if no one else does. I hope that's how deep my faith is. That even if everyone else, if everyone else in, in, in the the whole nation, the whole world said, I, I don't like what God said right here in this verse, so I'm leaving my faith. I hope I would have enough faith to say, God, I'm still with you. I, I've seen enough to know who you are. I've seen enough to know, even if I don't understand that verse, that you know what you're doing. And I'm going to trust you in all the, the cultural ups and downs. As Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. 
And as we always point out, I, I try to point out when I read that verse, the gate's not small and the way's not narrow because God made it small and narrow. It's small and narrow because not many people want to travel it. It, it. You only make a road as big as you need it. There's an interstate that's multiple lanes from here to Nashville because a lot of people travel that way. Those smaller roads go to places not as many travel. Jesus said it's a smaller road to God because just not as many people want to travel it. I hope you and I have the faith to say, even if everybody's going that way, God, I'm with you. What do we learn from that John 6 conversation the next day after the feeding of the 5,000? We've seen that we, we seek the wrong food sometimes. We've seen that only Jesus gives us true fulfillment. We've seen that we want to stay with Jesus like the apostles did here, even if everybody else left. Let, let's leave with this thought tonight. We all have needs and worries. You come in here tonight, there's probably something you're, you're concerned about probably something you're hoping for. It's probably something, you got your you got all the needs of life, the, the, the needs of, of relationship and food and existence and all, all the stuff that goes into human existence. All those, all those needs are there. Don't forget the words of Jesus in John 6. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus takes care of us. Verse 48, I'm the bread of life. Verse 51, I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus dies for us to give us all the real stuff, the stuff we really need, the stuff that's going to matter when life is all said and done. So let's end with this. The answer to all those needs and worries and fears and all the stuff life throws at you. The answer is always Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. He is the eternal life. Let's go into this week standing closer to Him than we've ever stood before. Making sure to remember He's the place we're going to find all that we truly want in life in Jesus Christ. If you're not right with Jesus tonight, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you'd like us to pray that your faith would be restored. If you have sin in your life that's separating you from God, don't stay there. Let us pray for you. Let us let us see you get back on the path of following the Lord. Maybe tonight you've come in, you're ready to become a Christian. You, you know you need to be baptized into Christ, and so you're ready to take that step. We'd love to see you do that as well. You can always talk with us privately afterwards if you'd like to, but if you'd like to respond publicly tonight, you have a chance to do that now while we stand, while we sing.